Aloha. That's a good one. You guys are getting better at that. <laughs> and also, just because I can, today is my mom's birthday, so when she watches this later, haoli la hanau iku'u makuahine. <laughs> Happy birthday to my beloved mother. <laughs> well, it should be obvious from the bulletin and from the elements and before us and the songs being shows that today is Communion Sunday where we remember the Lord's death. And one particular line that stands out to me from the passage in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, our usual text that many of us use in carrying out communion, is do this in remembrance of me, in reference to the bread specifically. When Pastor Tony placed this challenge before me of preparing an entire sermon based around the communion. In my home church, we do things a little differently, so it was a bit of a challenge to think about. And contrary to what he said, I didn't settle on this passage until about a week and a half ago. So I had been working on it on a message, yes, but I've had to rewrite it a couple of different times because my passage kept changing. So this is about a week and a half, but what got me really thinking of it when it comes to those lines, is what if a stranger right now were to walk in off the street while communion was taking place on any other given Sunday, and we could freeze time, and you basically had all the time in the world as it was taking place to explain to that person what they are seeing, what's going on. What kind of questions would they ask if they had almost no knowledge of Christianity beyond what they see on TV? Would they see what's going on? Perhaps they might ask, what is it you are doing? What is it that you are remembering? That, that text of scripture that you just read, what is it saying that we remember? What is the relationship between what you're doing now of eating the bread and drinking of the cup and remembrance? And though not this particular part found in scripture, it's often used, how do we prepare our hearts for communion? Now these questions, in a way, are going to be answered in this message, but it's not our primary focus, but to kind of frame it for us. When we think of communion, when we think of the Lord's Supper, do we, do we, how do we remember? What are we remembering? Is it just the six hours that Christ hung up on there on that cross? Or do we back up a bit perhaps further, a couple of days, to include the scourging by the Romans, the suffering under Pontius Pilate, or even when he was brought before the chief priests and officials where they struck him and accused him of blasphemy? Better yet, should we back up to his entire ministry, his time on earth where he was scoffed, mocked? At some points, they wanted to stone him or God's entire history with the nation of Israel, where he had to endure such dishonor from his people and also from those who accused him, the enemies of Israel who mocked him, thinking that no actual God would allow his people to be conquered as thusly as they had. These are some questions that I think of. And when we think of our portrayal then of these particular events, I think back 20 years ago, Yes, it's almost 20 years now, 
that Mel Gibson released his Passion of the Christ, which was rated R for its graphic violence in showing how in the, the Hollywood technology at the time, the suffering that Christ endured. And it's one of the most accurate in the way the events are presented, but still use, through the magic of Hollywood, they were able to use jump cuts away, sound effects that you would hear off screen of what was happening because there's no way that we could actually portray the real suffering that Christ endured on the big screen like that. But the actor who portrayed Jesus Christ in that particular film, Jim Cavazell, during the filming of, this of The Passion of the Christ, he came down with hypothermia, pneumonia. His shoulder was separated. At one point, even through the use of clever trickery of camera angles and jump cuts and off-screen sound effects, that scourge, that whip that they were using, actually at one time struck him and dug deep into his flesh. He actually was scourged at least one time. And to top it all off, he was struck by lightning. And through it all, he considered it an honor to be able to portray his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this and acknowledges that what he had to endure absolutely pales in comparison to what Christ endured. And when we think, when we explain to that person who, came, who comes into our service then who hears of it, they may have heard of a man named Jesus, how we say he's the son of God, how he died for our sins. But I want us to look at a passage, much older passage. It comes to us from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, and we're going to be looking at one verse, verse 5, which was written over 500, sorry, over 600 years before the birth of Christ. And in this one passage alone, the prophet Isaiah tells us of the Messiah. He is going to tell us of not just one way that Christ redeemed us, but in fact, of four distinct redemptive works of Christ that he did to redeem us. So let us read then from the book of Isaiah. And it is recorded there. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. In this particular passage, we see the prophet Isaiah in these four words conveyed so, not four, four lines conveyed so much about what Christ has done for us and not only for our sins, but some of these words he's using, and I read from the New King James, and interesting enough, the Old King James is basically this word for word. And your translation may use different words, but a lot of these we don't use in everyday speech anymore. And some of this we'll be looking at. But in each of these lines, we are going to see an action we're going to see the redemptive works of Christ. In each one, we're going to see an action, something that either Christ has done 
or Christ has allowed to be done unto him. And by this, the prophet Isaiah tells us, there's going to be a resolution, a redeeming work that takes place for us that we benefit from. And the first one, actually the first two, even for a non-Christian who has some, only the most basic knowledge of the scriptures or of who Christ is, the first two would make the most sense. But the very first one, we see he was wounded for our transgressions. Now in the original Hebrew, the word wounded here can have several different meanings. But in our modern day usage, we're very familiar with this word. In Hebrew, it kind of has the emphasis on he was pierced, specifically referencing, in a way, the, the nail holes that were created when he was nailed to that cross in his hands, in his feet, the spear that pierced him in the side. And when I was looking through different accounts, different portrayals of Jesus on the cross, one of them was my comic book picture Bible that I had gotten long ago. And of which he just looks like he's hanging out on the cross. Not really much, but that's, it's written for kids, so you can't show all of what's going on yet. But then even in our movies, we really don't show all that Christ endured, all the wounds that were inflicted upon him. It would make us turn away in disgust to see someone subjected to what he had gone through. And for this, the prophet Isaiah tells us that he endures for our transgressions. Another word that we don't use often enough in everyday speech, although it could all, some other synonyms, for our rebellion, for our sinful acts. If this were a court of law, as it were, these would be the charges that by which the prosecution would say, you broke the law, and we charge you with murder in the first degree under this law, and we charge you with, with battery to whatever degree under this law, and so on and so forth. The charges that were brought to, brought to be presented against you of how you specifically broke the law. And moreover, these are the charges by which you would be convicted of. For this, prophet Isaiah tells us that Jesus bore these wounds. Now this first one is one that we may be able to easily explain to an unbeliever, to someone who is not as familiar in our faith. The next one requires a little more explanation. In, my, in the New King James, it says he is bruised for our iniquities. And this word bruised has many different synonyms that we could associate with it. To be bruised, to break, to crush, but the best one that I found, to render inoperable. And I want you to really think on that one and consider for a moment that if they brought Jesus all the way up to the cross and ready to nail him to it at that point and goes, no, 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 wait, wait, you're pardoned, you can go home. We were wrong. If it was any other person than the, than the Son of God who had the ability to heal others through miraculous means, would they be able to go back 
and resume a normal life? Do you think that Jesus, at that point, could have just gone to being a carpenter? The very wounds that he endured, the condition that the Romans brought him to, through the scourging, remember, left him unable to carry that cross, whether that's from fatigue or because that whip lashed, sliced his muscles, his ligaments, to the point that he was unable to actually physically carry it. The reality is that the state that Jesus was, even before they nailed him to that cross, likely meant that he would have had to rely on the goodwill and charity of others for the rest of his life if he was a normal man. That's the state that they brought him to, that he allowed to be done unto him. And for what? The prophet Isaiah tells us that he endured this for our iniquities. Are another word that we don't use often enough either for our faults, for our defects, for our sinful state. If you need another law analogy, this would be by which after you are convicted, the status rendered unto you felon. Perhaps someone who's been turned over to the criminal justice system and imprisoned. It's a mark that goes on your record that is very hard to remove, usually requiring a pardon or under extreme circumstances, you may be able to get, to, to get it expunged. But we're not talking about those easy to get rid of marks. The state that he is talking about is physical death, physical separation from God, that we are spiritually dead, that to correct this, that for our sinful state, he was not only wounded, but now we've been told in this line that he has basically been turned into something that could not support himself, that by their definition, something outside of the grace of God forever. He could not carry on an occupation. He would have had to depend on the goodwill of others for the rest of his life, however long that may have been. Then we come to the third line now, where it says, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. Now, chastisement is another one of those good words. Chastisement, the price, the punishment. For your parents, that might be a scolding that you may need to give to your children, an admonishing word. It's the price for which that we had to have our peace. Now, our peace, what kind of peace? Our peace of mind? In Hebrew, it uses the word shalom. And we need to think of the day of, in which that the prophet Isaiah lived, and also the time that Jesus lived. And once again, I, why I say that I recommend the series, The Chosen, because when you see people going through their everyday life, they are deeply concerned with the fate of their soul. Am I within God's grace, or am I outside of it? For that leper wanting to be healed, he also he wanted to be back within his community, but his disease prevented him. When the paralytic was lowered through the roof, what he desired most in his heart that Jesus saw was the thing that needed to be concerned, 
that needed to be corrected. And Jesus lines to him, your sins are forgiven. What he desired was forgiveness, to be within the grace of God. And because of his condition, his society told him that he was forever outside of the grace of God. And today, what are we really worried about when it comes to our peace of mind? Perhaps it's being canceled on social media, getting one of those dreaded labels of bigot, racist, or fascist even in this day, of being able to, to not defend yourself in the online sphere. But the concerns of their day and age was where am I going? Am I cast out from God's grace? And once again, I want you to think of this chastisement because I alluded to it in the beginning of not just the physical that was done to Christ, but the attack to his honor, to his office. When he was brought before the Roman garrison, it's told, that they dressed him in a scarlet robe, put a crown of thorns upon his head, and not just thorns as we think of blackberries, thorns driven into his head. And then they bowed down and worshiped him in mock, put a reed in his hand as if it were a scepter, and then they would spit upon him, take the reed and beat him over the head with it. And you may be thinking, maybe two or three soldiers in kind of a dark room in the middle of nowhere that are taking this out. But it tells us that he was brought before the entire garrison. This could be an excess of 1,200 men in a large open amphitheater or square. All of these taking four. And not only them, who knows what politicians were also there mocking at the same time and knowing that if they were in any way serious about bowing and worship him, that would have been their own death sentence. There was no denying what they did. And then when he was brought before the priests earlier, they accused him of blasphemy. They produced false testimony against him. They blindfolded him and struck him in the face, telling him, prophesy, who hit you? On the cross, come down from there, O son of God, if, you, if that is who you are, and we will bow and worship you his entire relationship with the nation of Israel going back, where if they did what God required of them, obeyed his law, they would have been the beacon of light to all the surrounding nations of how God could interact with his people. But instead, they chose to disobey him, choose to follow false gods, choose in they wanted the vanities of their other nations. So God had to allow them to be punished, his name to be drugged through the mud. And those Babylonians, the, and the Syrians, and all the other nations mocking God, well, in their own mind, they had every good reason to mock God. Clearly, no good and powerful God will allow his nation to be suffer as, they, as these people had. It was, he was willing to have these attacks on his name his honor, his office. For what? Our peace of mind. And then this last line, this very powerful one. And by his stripes, we are healed. 
Stripes, another word once again that we don't use this exactly in our English language today. The Hebrew tells us the soft tissue damage, bluing and blackening under the flesh. Actual, in some translations, it uses his bruises, but his disfigurement, his present and visible signs that he bore. And when you think of after he rose from the dead, when he appeared to the disciples, what did he do to confirm who he was? His love for them. Look, see the holes in my hand. Thomas, reach into my side and see where this spear has pierced me. The present and visible signs. And by which we are told that we are healed, that we are restored. And there's one more within there that we're going to have to circle back to and we'll actually circle back to it. Some of you got that. <laughs> but when we talk of the redemptive works of Christ, we have these four in just this one passage alone, written by the prophet Isaiah over 600 years before the birth of Christ, that spoke to a people that may have been under threat of Assyrian violence, that Isaiah, we know his tenure as prophet extended into Manasseh, one of the most evil kings of Judah's history, that he may be speaking these words to a people who have abandoned God, who are under attack by the Assyrians, who their king has been led away. But he gives these words telling them that there is going to be one, that for your sinful acts will be wounded that for your sinful state, he is going to be broken. That for your peace of mind, that for your worry, are we outside of the grace of God? He is going to take on dishonor that has never been seen. And by the present visible signs that he will bear, we will be healed. Now, Pastor Tony this morning in a Sunday school lesson, and by the way, that is a great series for those of you who have not seen it yet. And this is coming from the person who is, I'm starting from, I had not seen this particular lesson before. The review sessions, these are all new for me, but it lines up with so much that I have been reading lately. Not only this book, other books, and one recently I found is the Life of Makua Laina, or in English, Father Lorenzo Lyons, one of the first missionaries to the island of Hawaii. And it, the word father there is not as the Catholics use it, but because he raised several orphan children within his household, and he was seen as a parent. And he is still remem remembered fondly. In fact, this particular book was put together by his granddaughter, who, who compiled the journals of him and his wife, and just the weeping when people found out that she was the granddaughter of their beloved father. But he was a missionary, and he was taught by some of the great teachers that 
of the Great Awakening era. And I can see it now in the translation of the Bible into Hawaiian, that these doctrines of grace that Pastor Tony is teaching us about are present in their translation. But another newer translation that just came out, this particular one, they have been working on for over 20 years. In fact, they completed the New Testament over 20 years ago, and that one's known as the Jesus Book. The Bible translated into Hawaiian Pidgin English. And just last September, they completed the Good and Special Book, which is now the Old Testament as well. And when I was reading this, I had to share it with Pastor Tony. And let me tell you, it moved him deeply to hear the words of this particular text. And it's in English, but it uses some kind of, it's a broken English dialect, but it's the way that people talk. It's the way that people think in their hearts. And I want to share with you this particular text. And this is from the Jesus book. But the one guy that work for the one in charge, him, the one the people poke with one spear, cause us guys go against God. Him, the one they smash, cause us guys do wrong. Him, the one they punish, and that make everything come good for us. Him, the one they whip, and cause of that, he make us come good. Just the profound words, just so simple. And to hear that in everyday speech, and that's why I gave you those other words for transgression, wounded, bruised, iniquity. Because when we think of it in terms that we know, it has such a deeper meaning. And there is one more I want to share with you, and we're not going to look at this one in it in its entirety, but really this last line. Remember that circle back comment. This one comes to us from Kai, the Kaibala Himalele, the Bible in Hawaiian. And this particular one was finally updated in 2018. But the very last line, because this adds some insight, where it says, Makona Mao Palapu Ua Ho'ola Iamai Kako. And I will translate that for you back into English. From his many, it uses the word plural there, many wounds, you will come alive. The Hawaiian there just tells us that third definition of we will be healed. We will have life. And I want you to think of Romans where it tells us, for the wages of sin is death, that separation. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is the life that Isaiah is talking about. That is the life that we are given now when we remember the Lord, when we remember the Lord's Supper. Yes, it is the Lord died for my sins, but so much more. He endured so much more than just those six hours on a cross. He endured all the days beforehand, the attacks to his office, to his honor, even before he was born. 
They mocked him. And yet he bore that willingly. He bore all this because we are told he loves us and he demonstrates it through his life. Now, before we get to the communion service, as we examine our hearts, as we prepare them, I have to ask of you, have you chosen the Lord? Have you made him your savior? Because we can see here, and for those who saw Pastor Tony's lesson from this morning, that the works of grace that God has done beforehand, it is all completed. And there they used, the, the preacher used the example of you're on the fifth floor of a burning building and the fire department created a net for you to jump in. And all you have to do is jump to be safe from the fire. Everything has been done. I love the particular example of the man next to the river that's flooding where he constantly claims that the Lord loves me, he's going to save me, and ignores a radio broadcast, a police officer, a boat, and a helicopter. And then when he stands before God, demanding, Lord, I believed in you, I loved you, why didn't you save me? And God answers, I sent you a radio message, a police officer, a boat, and a helicopter. What more do you want? <laughs> I have to ask, what is it that is holding you back? It's not just one way we saw in just one verse alone, but four, and each with numerous subpoints that we could spend hours going over. But God demonstrated our love, and God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we take up this communion, are you ready? Have you made that decision? I ask now for those for us to bow our heads. And if you have not made that decision, that you join me in this prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, you love us deeply. Lord, it wasn't just those six hours on the cross or the days leading up beforehand. But you bore so much shame and dishonor upon yourself that was destined for us. And Lord, there is nothing I can do to save myself. Everything has been done by your son. And Lord, I surrender my burdens to you. Lord, I welcome you into my life. Lord. Transform me now, this day and every day, into your child. Lord, indwell in me. Make a new work within me. Lord, join me with your son now. Lord, we thank you. We thank you deeply because there is no act on my part that can work this grace. But through you, through the promise of your word, which even I now as a pastor am still learning more and coming to a better knowledge of. One day when we stand before you, we will have that perfect knowledge. But Lord, now as we, as the new person prays this prayer and begins this journey, Lord, I ask that you work in us, work in them, 
this new work that you promise. Lord, we thank you. We thank you deeply for the promise of your son, the work that he has done through, through us and in us and for us. Lord, we thank you. This we pray in the name of your son. Amen. I hope now that for those of you out here, that if you prayed that prayer, that you would be encouraged to share it. And it need not be now. But there are plenty of brothers and sisters among you who love you, who care for you, and would love to look no more. We thank you and praise you, O oh God. Amen.